Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With LuckyLandSlots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Freaked out and actually like crashed it. I didn't crash it. I was test driving it, tried to make a U-turn. Then I stopped. And once I stopped, I like revved the thing and it kicked out from under me and just kept going. And I just kind of jumped off the back. And freaked out. So I've never actually driven a Vespa. Welcome back to another episode of 10 Hours from Home. I'm so excited that you're here with me this week. I'm in Casablanca, Morocco. And I'm very excited about it, to be honest. I landed a few days ago and have been kind of relaxing and getting all the things done that I've needed to get done. And tomorrow, I'm very excited to go see my Moroccan family. I've been keeping my distance and just be extra, extra careful. So anyway, uh, I'm excited about that. And I'm excited to be here. I literally, I landed and my friend picked me up from the airport and it it was just perfect. We drove to the gas station to get food because the gas station in Buscura has the best food. So we landed, we went to the gas station in Buscura, which I know sounds insane, but seriously, The best food you can find is in the gas stations here. Like, it's crazy. They're known for their specialties. Like, this gas station does tangia. And this gas station, the the one we went to, is known for goat tangine. It's called mazi and griad. We got a kilo and three quarters of griad and ate most of it. And I'm sure that that most of that is my fault because I was just so excited to eat Gliad again. Barbecue, Moroccan barbecue. The food is so good here. It's just ridiculous. It's nothing special. You can just eat a cutlet, which is a lamb rib, and it's just better than it is in the U.S. or in France or anywhere else that you would find a cutlet. I don't know why, but it is just delicious food that is well made. You don't need like a bunch of stuff on it to make it taste good. It's just so good. And then after the griad, we went and got a watermelon. And I swear to God, I ate half of it. It was 15 kilos. So those of you who are not in the metric system, it's about a little over 30 pounds of watermelon. 
It cost me $2.50. It was beautiful. And it tasted like candy. It, it doesn't, I, I swear to God, I've, I've never, ever, 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 ever forgotten the taste of watermelon. And it still has its seeds in it. That was the most exciting thing for me. When I first came to Morocco, my friend and I went to Agadir. We got a watermelon on the way back that was ridiculously large. And I ate half of it probably because I was leaving the next day. And I was so impressed because it still had the seeds. Like you eat a watermelon in France, it doesn't have the seeds. You eat a watermelon in the US, it doesn't have its seeds anymore. And it's billed that way. Seedless watermelon, $2.99 a pound, whatever. No, 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 no. Here's the thing about seeded watermelon is that when you have a seedless watermelon, even the best seedless watermelon from California is like the worst seeded watermelon, the worst normal natural watermelon in Morocco. And it's just, it's so good. I can't even, I can't even explain to you. It's like eating ice cream, but just like the best version of ice cream in the whole entire world that comes from the earth. And I think I've lost already like 400 pounds just from stress <laughs> and fatigue and the first night I got here, I got the best night's sleep. And the second night I got here, I got the best night's sleep. And then the third night, eh, because I had some work to do. So I had to stay up really late because technology, like a few little technological hiccups. But overall, I feel lighter, both spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. I feel like I'm well rested, even though I'm still yawning like crazy, but I'm well rested and I wake up feeling rested. I took a siesta. Oh my God. We talked last week about how much I love a siesta. Moroccans love a siesta too. So after lunch, you have your afternoon nap and then you go back to work like a good Spaniard, like a good Moroccan. And the other day I woke up. I did some work, I had some lunch, and I just fell asleep on the couch. And it was just so nice. And I, I meant to take like a 20-minute nap. Ended up taking a two-hour nap. But I don't care. I'm in Morocco. I don't care. There's nothing to do other than just work and relax. And I actually met up with my social media girl who's based in Casablanca, New Hila. I talk about her at the end of every podcast. Love her, love her, love her. She's so sweet. She is a friend. She's my ex-student and she is a boss. <laughs> and we had a beautiful lunch thanks to her at her house. She invited me for chicken and french fries, which is an amazing tangine. And it was delicious. And she was reminding me that if I decided to move back here, that this could be my life always because I could afford to have a housekeeper who comes in and does my grocery shopping and, you know, cleans my house and I could just work and just be and just do what I want. And I was like, oh yeah. I don't know if you guys have like figured this out yet, but this little tour of the world is pretty much me trying to figure out where the hell I want to live for the rest of my life and what I want to be when I grow up. Actually, that not, that's not true. I have that part pretty much figured out, but it definitely is kind of like a test of, you know, where do I feel most at home? and what does the next kind of chapter of my life look like? Morocco is definitely a contender. Paris is definitely a contender. We'll see where it goes. 
So I have five weeks in Morocco. I'm very excited to kind of be here and just live it and just experience it and spend time with my friends and spend time with my Moroccan family. And I'm staying through Eid, which is their Christmas. It's their big holiday, right? Um, it's nothing like Christmas, but <laughs> it's a lot of food and a lot of family and a lot of cooking and a lot of prepping and a lot of fun. And did I mention really good food? <laughs> I can't wait to eat bulfaf and I'm going to the beach this weekend. So I'm just a happy girl. I'm just a happy girl. And I was a little bit worried about coming here and see what the effects of the pandemic have been because Morocco has been shut. It has been full frontier closure for most of the last 18 to 18 plus months. And I was expecting, I mean, I will say a lot of the restaurants that my my friend and I usually go to, we drove up to them. Nope, sorry, they're closed, which is really sad. But it's so interesting to me because families here really take care of each other. And there's this communal mentality that if one is down, you help them out. And you can feel that because with all the businesses that have closed, with all the restaurants that are gone, that provide, you know, minimum wage jobs, which is not a lot. There still isn't a lot of, I mean, there's homeless people, obviously, like there are in most major cities, but you can tell that people are really being taken care of either by their communities or by their families or whatever the case may be. So I'm happy to see that it's not as bad as I thought it was. I am sad to see that so many businesses have gone out of business. Hopefully that offers more space for new and creative and inventive things. And hopefully those people will get back on their feet very soon. And I'm happy, like I said, to see that it hasn't been, at least from what I've seen over the last three days, I may be saying nonsense and have no idea what I'm talking about, to be perfectly honest, because you know I've been walking the streets, I've been seeing what's going on. My friends have been telling me what's going on, but you know, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And thankfully, all of us have jobs. And thankfully, all of us have, you know, close knit families and people that are taking care of each other. So as the Moroccans say, alhamdulillah for that, just from looking around from hearing the stories, it's not as bad as I initially thought it was going to be. So thankfully, I'm happy that my little Morocco is doing better than I anticipated. Where I'm located, I'm super grateful because I can actually walk to a lot of the places that I generally go. So I've been walking around the neighborhoods and walking to, you know, get my groceries and all that stuff. And I see every so often or I hear a little taxi honk outside and it makes me so happy. It brings back so many memories of just crazy taxi stories of Morocco. Fun memories, funny things that happen. Uh, I swear, I still stand firm on my original advice from episode two about traveling that no matter where you go in the world, taxis will try to rip you off. That's just what it is. But there's something poetically chaotic about a Moroccan taxi. And actually, we are talking about getting around town today. So whether by foot, by train, by taxi, by bus, or by car, you have to figure out how to get around your new home. And obviously, if you're in a big city, 
the easiest way to get around most large cities is by metro or subway or tube, whatever you call it. And if you're coming from a suburb or a small town, it can be very overwhelming to experience the metro for the first time. I will say Barcelona's metro is very nice. Their underground was very nice, very easy to use. It was new, so it was air conditioned, which was lovely. And it was very clean, which was also lovely. And it got you to most places around the city very easily. And it was fairly easy to use. I would say, like on a scale of 1 to 10 being idiot proof, 10 being the most idiot proof, it was probably about an 8. You just needed to know which direction you were going, which was nice. But, I mean, obviously when you're new there, knowing which direction you're going is a little bit more difficult. Now with all the apps and stuff, I feel like you don't need to know very much when using the metro, but I will say that I lived in Barcelona and Paris before I went to New York City for the first time ever, and I don't care if you have a map or a personal guide, New York City subway is the most ridiculous thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. It is so confusing. You have three lines that go in the same direction, but they only stop at different places. And one of them only works every third Tuesday of the month between 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. And then the other one only works every fourth Monday, uh, as long as it's not a leap year. And it's just ridiculous. It's just so convoluted and ridiculous. So I will say that when you get to Europe, <laughs> the subway and the metro and the buses are much easier to use. Actually, I take that back. The metro or the buses for me, are impossible to use, but it doesn't matter where I am in the world. I am not a good bus person because it's too much directional information that I need to know. So that's why I like the Paris subway because Paris on a scale of one to 10 from being idiot proof to being completely New York and complicated, Paris is completely idiot proof. New York, you have to know if you're going uptown or downtown or east or west or whatever the fuck. No. Paris, you walk into the metro and it says, here on this side, you're at this stop. And if you want to go this way, you're going to this stop, this stop, this stop, this stop, this stop, all the way until the end. And if you don't want those stops, then you're over there on this end. And here's where you are. And there's this stop, this stop, this stop, this stop. It is literally idiot proof. It is the most amazing metro I've ever experienced. I've said that though to people and I probably shouldn't because when I was first building my business, I had a whole host of weird jobs and mostly two and three at a time. But one of them was cleaning Airbnb rentals and checking people in. And it wasn't actually Airbnb. It was for a different company that was basically ripping off Airbnb and doing it illegally in Paris because they weren't paying taxes because they paid me in under the table in my PayPal account. Anyway, neither here nor there. So I would clean these apartments. I would manage the properties, like if anything was broken down or whatever. And I would check people in. And I would use this line of, don't worry about, here's a metro map. It's very easy to use. It's sincerely idiot proof. And then people would come back to me and say, I can't figure out how to get from the Arc de Triomphe to the Champs-Élysées and you should be able to just like literally walk across the street because the Arc de Triomphe is at the end of the Champs-Élysées. So this is a little bit of a caricature of 
the situation. But genuinely, I was like, how can you not understand this metro system? Because it's seriously so easy to use. You have a sign that gives you all the stops on one side. And you have another sign that gives you all the stops in the other direction. It's so simple. That being said, the buses in Paris, the buses anywhere, to be perfectly honest, the buses in Barcelona, the buses in oh God, the buses in Morocco will get there. But the buses in Barcelona, the buses in Paris, the buses in London, like I'm not about it. Like I don't know where I'm going. It's too much. I have to figure out this way, that way, the other way. I can't even tell you how many times I've gotten lost on a bus and or gone the wrong direction or taken the wrong bus, whatever the case may be. It's just, I can't, I, it's too much, too much happening. So I'm very hostile about having to take a bus <laughs> if I ever take a bus. Plus the buses in Paris are not air conditioned, which just, it's disgusting. I actually had to take one the other day to go take my COVID test. And usually I take the Villib for everything, especially now, because I just don't want to be near people. But this bus was fairly empty and it wasn't hot outside, but the bus was sweltering and there wasn't even anybody in it. So anyway, I just, I don't like a bus, but I mean, maybe you feel differently. The only buses that I will recommend actually are the buses that travel from country to country, because if you're specifically if you're a student, those buses are easy to travel on. They're they're not very efficient, but they're dirt cheap and you don't have to pay for your luggage. So. That's an option. It's not one I've ever experienced, but it definitely I've had friends who've done it and they don't have any issues at all. So that's one way I prefer flying just because it's cheap and it's fast in Europe. It's cheap and it's fast. It's cheaper than the train. Certain flights you can find as cheap as the bus, but it's cheaper than the train. It's faster than both of those things. And a lot of the times it's just worth it to sit your ass on a plane for a few hours uh, instead of a stinky bus. But that's just me. That's just me. I'm slightly bourgeois, but definitely not. You know what I mean? Like there's certain things that I'm a little bit bourgeois about. And then most other things I'm not. Travel and water. Yep. Like my mode of transportation when it comes to planes, trains, and automobiles. Not even automobiles. I don't care. Like you can pick me up in a freaking Camry with no door. I mean, I've ridden in Moroccan taxis, so it's fine. But yeah, when it comes to planes, trains, and buses, <laughs> I'm going to choose probably a plane every time. But here in Casablanca, there is no underground. There is a tram, which I've taken twice <laughs> because it's just not very practical, to be honest. I mean, it goes to all the places that you need to go if, you have, if you're a business person. It goes to the business center. It goes to the center of town. It goes to the villa section. It goes to the outskirts of where you need to be. But when you're in the city center, you have two options and that's taxi or bus. And personally, I prefer a Moroccan taxi to a Moroccan bus. Although I will say I have come back and the buses have been upgraded in Morocco, in Casablanca specifically. I was very shocked to see the new buses. And I mean, honestly, a little bit sad because not that this is funny, but it's funny because nobody's been hurt. This has happened more than once. But the old buses used to be old school buses. You know what I mean? Like with the opening folding doors, you know, like 1960, like bus, right? And it would be like 
black fuel, like black fumes coming out of the back and people just hanging out the doors. It was (laughs) slightly hilarious. But on more than one occasion, and again, thankfully nobody ever got hurt, which is why this is probably a little bit funny instead of tragic. But on more than one occasion, the buses catch, have caught on fire. I've seen probably three bu- buses just catch fire in the middle of the boulevard. And it's just so, what the hell is going on in this country? Because we have like all this innovation and technology and then the bus is on fire. So it was slightly bittersweet to see that all of the buses in Casablanca have been replaced. They're all brand new. So nobody will be in danger, thankfully. But, you know, I mean, it was kind of part of the charm that you see like 87 people hanging out the side of the bus. Not anymore. The buses are nice. Nobody was hanging out of them. But that's okay. Again, as long as everybody has a safe way to get to and from where they need to be. Uh, But for me, I never... I never ventured on the bus here because a taxi, the minimum fare is 70 cents and the most you're spending. I mean, if you go all the way to the airport, you're spending like 20 bucks. I never saw the need to really (laughs) venture to the bus, especially because they were, you know, I mean, in no circumstance do I want to be shoved into a metal moving object or any place with Hundreds of other people, so much so that the bus or the wherever it is is bursting out the seams and people are hanging off the sides. It's not my cup of tea. It never has been. Again, I will own the bourgeoisness of it and I will own my privilege in the fact that I can spend the extra 50 cents to take the taxi or the extra $2 to take, take the taxi because it is a privilege. I mean, in, in all honesty and all sincerity, it is a privilege to be able to do that in this country. And I take full advantage of that privilege. But I will say the one thing I do love about transportation here, though, in Morocco specifically, is that you can take the train from Kazaport to Marrakesh. It's like an hour and a half. And that is a nice train ride. There's not much to see. Like, I mean, there is a lot to see, but it's it's not rolling hills. And, you know, you see the Atlas Mountains as you come into Marrakesh. But most of it is flat farmland. But it is so cool because you see all of these people just doing their lives every day. And I just think it's so interesting and so just humbling. And it's probably a little bit voyeuristic, but it's just very, I think when you're in a city like Casablanca or a city like Marrakesh or a city like Fez or Rabat, you can get wrapped up in what Morocco is in those cities and forget what Morocco is outside of those cities. And the train is just a really cool way to experience Morocco outside of the city. Um, if you can't experience it any way other than through the train, if that makes sense. What I mean by that is if you're a tourist here and you're traveling from Casa to Marrakesh and you don't have the opportunity to take a car or you don't have friends who, you know, live in the Atlas Mountains or have project like I was grateful to have my friend who's an architect who, you know, had projects in Warzazat and par- projects in Rabat and projects in Safi and projects in small cities around the country. If you don't have that privilege and you don't get to experience kind of like the daily life outside of these massive cities, 
then taking the train is a really cool way to kind of get a small peek into what that looks like. And it's just really cool. And I highly recommend it. Plus the trains themselves are just really fun. If you get on a train at let's say 1030 in the morning going from Casablanca to Marrakesh, you will see some crazy stuff. People selling their their goods. And by goods, I mean everything from rugs to chickens to businessmen to everybody. Uh, And it's so it's just that in and of itself is a really cool experience as well, because you may find something you may find a rug that you love on the train or, you know, it's just a really cool experience. I want to say first class is like $14, so it's not even very expensive. And second class is only seven. So if it's not a busy time, I highly suggest taking not first class because it's just like I said, you'll just experience a lot more. And if it is busy, definitely take first class because then again, you're in the, the, the metal sardine situation and it's just no thanks. <laughs> At least again, that's my personal thing. I don't want to be shoved up a bunch uh, next to a bunch of people that I don't know and that just overloaded in the train. So anyway, highly recommend the train experience in Morocco. Anywhere really, even though in Europe now it's actually more expensive to take the train than it is to take a plane. I still recommend taking the train because one, it takes you city center to city center. So it's easy to kind of, you know, navigate. Like if you want to go from Paris to Nice, you'll be Paris city center to Nice city center. It's easier to get a taxi. It's cheaper to move around, all of that stuff. So if you're not renting a car and driving there yourself, then it's, you know, there is, there are perks to doing the train. The other perk though of doing the train is that you get, to experience the landscape and just things that you wouldn't necessarily, if you're driving or if you're flying, you don't get to experience in the same way that you do when you're sitting on the train and just able to enjoy the scenery. And the train is just relaxing, to be honest. It's one of the only places that I actually ever read. So when I take the metro, when I take the train, those are the places that I sit down and take a book with me and actually read a book instead of just putting in my headphones on the Vilib or, you know, listening to a podcast as I, you know, sit on the bus or whatever. Because on the bus, you have to be more aware, right? On the metro, you can just sit there and say, okay, I have to get off in seven stops. And then you just count the, you know, the stopping motion of the metro. And okay, stop one. Okay, I have my head in my book. I don't really have to pay attention. Just make sure that you keep, you know, Keep track of your stops and it's easy. But on the bus, you have to be hyper aware because they stop at some places, they don't stop at others. So, anyway, it's just the whole thing. I know I sound like a crazy person, don't worry. But the other reason that I sort of love the Villib and try to avoid trains and metros and all of that stuff is because, especially in France, not in Barcelona so much, not in Morocco that I've ever seen. But French people love to strike. Oh, my God. So the people who love to strike the most are the RAPT or the RATP. I can never remember if it's RATP or RAPT. I think it's RATP. Whoever it is, it's the transport people. They love to go on strike. The trains and the metros and all of that, you can definitely guarantee yourself at least four times a year they're not going to be working. You're going to be stranded instead of coming every four minutes. They're only going to come every 20 minutes or every 30 minutes. And it's just a freaking nightmare. They shut down the whole freaking country because everybody is dependent 
on the trains and the metro. I shouldn't say the whole country, but I mean the whole of Paris, which is where most of the business happens, to be perfectly frank. And then the people in the suburbs commute into Paris and, you know, or the people who have to work from Paris to Nice, like they can't get anywhere. So it's, or Marseille or Toulouse or wherever. And they just shut down the whole freaking system. The last strike was about that Macron was trying to cut, at least from what I understand. Okay, like, let's be honest. So if you're French and you're hearing this and you're like, no, that's not what it is. The whole thing with the gilets jaunes and all that stuff, the yellow vests, was that he raised taxes on gas and he raised the age of retirement and he did some other, you know, capitalistic things that the French people were all pissed off about. And one of those things is that so when the metro was first a thing in Paris, they had to shovel the coal out of the coal box or wherever the hell it came from and shovel it into the fire. And so they used to get a stipend for doing this, like a bonus at the end of the year for shoveling the coal and sticking it into the fire. Now, in 2020, 2019, 2018, for as long as I've lived in Paris, the metro runs on a rail like a train with no coal. It's just an electric situation, I think. Most of them are autonomous, to be perfectly honest, but they run on a rail. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And. The little driver conductor guy, it's like a trolley in San Francisco. They pull the lever to stop the train. They release the lever to let it go. There's no coal shoveling involved. So Macron, looking at the budget, saying, okay, you want more money for your whatever, your retirement, or I don't know, whatever it is that they were talking about, we're going to take away the coal bonus. Oh, my God. All hell broke loose. All hell broke loose. All hell broke loose. And they went on strike for months because of this coal bonus that they don't even have to. This is a job that they don't even do anymore. And they're getting paid for it. Anyway, that's probably the capitalist in me. <laughs> I should probably be a much better socialist. And again, if you're French and you're listening to this and you have, you're like, absolutely not, just let me know. Drop it in the comments on the YouTube or send me a DM and be like, you've got it absolutely wrong. But that's from my understanding. It was kind of like this trifecta of things. And maybe we can do, you know, I don't know, an eco environmental bonus where like if the numbers of the passengers of the metro are up this year, you get a whatever bonus. I don't know. The tickets have already gone up in price. So I'm sure they I know they got something out of the deal. They sucked the union dry. They spent mil- hundreds of millions of euros on this strike. Anyway, 
So the Vlib is my best friend for that. <laughs> and also because it's good exercise and I just love to see the city that way. But also, yeah, strikes in France suck. And I will tell you, actually, the first time that I drove in Europe was because of a French strike. So I went to Paris before my school in Barcelona started. I went up for, you know, a little sightseeing tour, a little tourist getaway. And everyone told me, because I took the train, the train people said, be very careful when you come back because they're planning a strike. We're not sure if it's going to happen, but they're planning a strike. So it'll be harder to get a train. Now, harder to get a train versus in fucking possible to get a train are two different things. Two very different things. Hard to get a train is like, oh, yeah, okay. Like I have to like maybe get a train tomorrow instead of today. No. Or in a few hours instead of like right now. No. Nope, 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 nope. Hard to get a train actually is you can absolutely not get one fucking train if the TGV is striking in the entire continent of Europe. That's what it is. So if anybody in Europe ever tells you, oh, well, France is striking the TGV so you can get a train from Barcelona to Toulouse, but you can't get your train from Toulouse to Paris, believe them. Say, okay, it's not going to be hard to get a train. It's going to be impossible. Not hard, impossible. So just plan accordingly. So I, you know, bright eyed and bush into, oh, there might be a strike. Who knows? Whatever. It's fine. I get on my train. I go to Paris, living my best life. Then I go to get on my train to leave Paris and there's a strike and I, it, the train is canceled. I get a notification, the train is canceled. What the hell can I do? Literally nothing. So I'm freaking out because actually I planned my trip a little too close. So my, I was leaving on Sunday and my orientation was Monday and it said it was mandatory, even though come to find out after I rent a freaking car and drive through the Pyrenees for 12 fucking hours back to Barcelona, it absolutely was not mandatory. So I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm stuck in Paris. I'm going to fail school before day one even starts. So I go and I rent a car and I rent a car from the train station, the Gare du Lyon in Paris until... Barcelona. And thankfully it didn't, I mean, it cost me like 200 euros, I think, but it was literally my only option. And thankfully they didn't ask me for an international driver's license at the time because I didn't have one. I didn't have a Barcelona driver's license. I didn't have a French driver's license. And I just remember they rented me this Fiat and it was a Fiat 500. And if you've ever been in a Fiat or if you are an American who has ever gone to Europe for the first time and seen a Fiat 500 for the first time, it looks like a clown car. It is a two-seater, tiny ass, kind of like a smart car, but smaller, but like expected to hold more people. I knew how to drive a stick because all my cars had been stick because I was obsessed with Fast and Furious when I was younger. So my first car was a Mazda 3 special edition with a Bose sound system and heated seats. It was the best car. My mom was so dumb. She bought me a brand new car when I was 16. It was my baby. I crashed it. It died a horrible, horrible death. Um, and I sped a lot in it, <laughs> but it was a stick shift because I wanted to be Fast and Furious. I wanted to be Letty from Fast and Furious and know how to drive a stick and be super cool as a girl. So my first car was a stick. 
and it was a baby stick, which was really nice. And then I got another stick that was a 1999 Honda Civic. I went from like the baby stick to being super easy to drive as someone who learned on an automatic to a pro master stick because that stick was like you had to shove the clutch in all the way to the to the floorboard in order to shift into any gear. So I I know how to drive a stick thankfully. And so I I got in my Fiat 500 like like a little tiny clown car and my head touched the ceiling cuz I'm a tall American and sat in this car. In some cars, most cars you push the reverse either all the way to the left and up or all the way to the right and down. That's generally how reverse works. But in a in some cars there's a little mechanism under the ball of the shifter. There's I don't know what the technical term is for it. We're going to call it a shifter. The shifter you have to pull it up in order to get it into that gear. So normal, like my Mazda, all you had to do was like make sure you pushed far enough over to the right and then down to make sure that you're in reverse. In this, you had to like lift up this little mechanism and push it into reverse. So I didn't realize that. I kept like trying to get it into reverse to where it was saying it was reverse. And the car, like I thought I had gotten it into there, but it just rolled back. And so it wasn't actually doing anything. And there was a divot. Like when you come off a driveway and there's kind of a, a dip and then it comes back up so that the water drains down into the, wherever the central drain is. So it has like this U shape and the tires are just going back and forth in this U shape. And I'm going forward and backward and forward and backward. And I'm sitting in the car going, how the fuck do I get out of here? <laughs> So anyway, finally figured it out. I was like, oh, okay. So I pull up this thing and I and then I thought I had to do it for everything. So I was like pulling it up to shift it into first and pulling it up to shift it into second. But you only have to do it for reverse. So note, if you ever are driving a stick and there's some sort of mechanism, you only have to use it for reverse. But anyway, so I finally get out, drive back to Barcelona, turn in the car, barely make it to my orientation in the morning. And it was such an experience, too, because the thing is, in the U.S., we flash our lights to let you know that your lights should be on, but they're not on. You don't flash your lights at people unless you're super pissed. But in Europe, when people are flashing their lights at you, it's because you're going too slow and you need to move out of their way because they don't change lanes. In the U.S., we change lanes. If I'm going slower than you want to go and you're behind me, you change lanes and go around me and go in front of me. That's how it works. In Europe, it's the opposite. If you're going too slow to be in the fast lane, which is if the speed limit is 120 kilometers and you're going 140 or 160, it's not fast enough, I promise you. So just stick to the middle lane. So slower drivers need to stay. It's basically the far left lane is just for passing. So everybody else stays in the middle lane or they stay in the far right lane or whatever, however many lanes there are, the furthest on the left is just for passing. So all these people are coming up behind me because I'm in the furthest of the left lane because I'm thinking I'm going 140 on, on 120 and it's fine. And, you know, I'm going fast and all these people are coming up behind me, flashing their lights. And I'm like, fuck you, go around me. And I'm getting all pissed off. But then I come to find out that's just how they drive. And I'm, I'm actually the one that's doing something wrong. Get out of their way. Stay in the slow lane. Learn your lesson. Know your lane. I made it in one piece. I learned some valuable lessons about driving in Europe. 
And I have driven a lot in Europe since then. I've driven in Mexico when I was younger. That was a terrifying experience. I tried to drive a Vespa in Bali and I freaked out and actually like crashed it. I didn't crash it. I was test driving it, tried to make a U-turn. Then I stopped. And once I stopped, I like revved the thing and it kicked out from under me and just kept going. And I just kind of jumped off the back of it and freaked out. So I've never actually driven a Vespa. I've been on the back of plenty, but I've never driven one. So again, I know when to stay in my lane and Vespas are not one of my lanes. I stay in my lane. I've actually driven in Europe so much because in France before, (laughs) in the yesteryear of Paris, there used to be this thing called the Autolib. And the Autolib is like the Villib. So the Villib is you go to a stand, you take your bike, you drive it to wherever your destination is, and you park it in the closest stand to where you're going. Well, the Autolib is the same concept. It's an electric car that's basically, it's just the shittiest piece of plastic you could possibly find. And I I mean, obviously, because it's just so cheap and it's communal that I'm guessing they had to replace a few of them, I'm sure. As a student, you could rent these auto libs with whatever driver's license you had. I have actually never changed my driver's license from the U.S. to a French driver's license. One, because it's super expensive. Two, because I hate driving. I hate driving. You can ask anybody who knows me. I That's not true. I like driving. I like driving alone. I like driving on long trips with my dog where I can blast my music and sing at the top of my lungs and play whatever I want to play. That, those moments I like. I don't like driving when I'm driving someone with me or like I don't like driving to the grocery store. I don't like short trips just wherever to do whatever and it's it's just not my thing. I like to be driven. You can ask my friend here. He calls himself affectionately my Uber driver. I mean, that's fine. He likes to drive. So whatever. I like to be driven. You like to drive. It's perfect harmony. And I will drive. Like, I will be your co-pilot. I will drive when you need me to drive. It's not like I'm just sitting, like, dry, you know, sitting in the car, like, oh, take me wherever because you're my friend. No, I'll, I'll drive. It's not that. It's just I don't like to drive. So I never changed my license from an American license to a French license. And there's this whole thing about like restitution and reciprocity. And there's certain states that have done things to like you just turn in your driver's license and they give you a French license and you don't have to go through driving school and learner's permits and having a big old A on the back of your car for however long and all of that crap that you have to do. And driving, I mean, like to get your French license, it's like 3,000 euros. It's a ridiculous amount of money. And I, I mean, you have it for the rest of your life. It's not like the US where you have to renew it every year, but it's a big upfront cost that I don't want to pay for something that I don't really want to do. So whenever I need a car, I rent a car with my American license and just pretend like I don't fucking live there. <laughs> Probably shouldn't be admitting this on, you know, like a public forum, but it is what it is. So the nice thing about the Autolib is that as a student, you could rent it just using your whatever driver's license you had, whether you're from Spain, whether you're from Morocco, whether you're from California. So it it just was whatever license you had because you're a student, you can use this thing and here you go. So the Autolib was great and it was five euros for half an hour and then... I want to say something super cheap, like five euros a month. Like it was dirt cheap to use it. It was an electric car. You just plugged it into the station closest to wherever you were going. And if you needed a car, you took the car. If you didn't, you whatever. 
It just was really convenient. But the dumb thing about it was that most people took the auto lib after they had been partying. So it was the way to avoid paying for a taxi after you were drunk in Paris at 5 a.m., which is just stupid because taxis in Paris are such a pain in the ass. They only pick you up at a taxi station. It's very rare that you can like hail a cab. You have to go find one at a taxi station. You have to get in line and do all this crap. And then they won't take you to certain places. So, oh no, I don't want to go out there. That's too far. Oh no, I don't want to do that because it's da 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 da. Oh no, I don't want to go to that neighborhood because it's not a nice neighborhood. Oh no. It's it's ridiculous. The auto lib was generally the way to get home from the club when you were drunk. Like, hate to say it like that, but it's true. And I just remember speaking of that. I mean, I don't think I was drunk. Maybe I was drunk. I don't know. Whatever. One night I was driving home in the auto lib with a friend of mine and I turned too close. Normally there's a median with a traffic light that, you know, sticks out of it. That's the median. That's the purpose of the median. Well, there was a median in this place that had no traffic light in it and it was dark and it was raining and I turned and I turned too close and I just (laughs) went up on the median in the auto lib and I do actually think I was drunk because I was freaking out that the police were going to come get me. I was like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. So I'm trying to turn the wheel and get off the... (laughs) get off the median and all this stuff. And this guy comes over and he's trying to help me pull the car off. And my friend's like, what the hell are we going to do? And I'm like, oh God, I'm drunk. And I have this car and it's all up on the thing. And I actually think it was from my friend's account. I don't even think it was my auto lib because I think at this point, my auto lib had been deactivated because she actually needed to go to Bouvet because Bouvet is an airport that's about an hour and a half outside of Paris and she had missed her bus. And we were, she called me and asked me if I could take her. And I was like, sure, because we thought the Autolib could go, you know, wherever. And apparently that's not true because Bouvet is too far and the battery didn't last. So we ended up like stranded in the middle of, I want to say we were 20 minutes away from the airport. And ended up having to have the car towed back to Paris. And we had to take an Uber back from wherever the hell we were back to Paris because there was only one seat in the tow truck. It was just a freaking mess. So I think actually I had crashed her autolib into the median because we were sharing an account at that point because of the the Bouvet situation and my account being deactivated because I broke the rules. So I'm freaking out because it was her auto lib and I was like, oh shit, I'm going to get her in trouble. And anyway, long story short or long story less long, we got the car off the median and successfully made it home without dying or crashing into anything else. I do not tell the story to recommend that you ever do that or ever drink and drive or anything of the like. It's just a dumb thing I did as a kid. I was, again, probably 22, 23 and just fucking stupid. What can I tell you? So all of this European driving, the driving in Mexico when I was a teenager, all of that prepared me, I think, maybe, I don't know, for driving in Morocco. Originally, when I came on vacation, I had to do zero driving. I had to do zero train traveling. I had to do zero, zero, zero. The friend who likes to drive me around now is the same friend who drove me around back then. And he just made the whole thing happen. And I literally just had to sit there in the passenger seat and look cute and be driven around to all the places that I wanted to go. So when I got here 
and I was preparing for Fashion Week in New York and I was going to meet with this woman who was connected to a bunch of the artisans who actually work in Marrakesh. And I needed to drive to Marrakesh because I had to pick up a bunch of stuff. And I ended up actually going to the souk on the backside of Gem Alfna, which is the local souk, and actually picking up a bunch of really cool pieces for my apartment that I loved. Um, and that were just, it's like a little local souk. You get way better prices, I promise you. And it's on the back end of Gem Alfna. So Gem Alfna is like the big tourist square. If you go on the other side of it, you'll get all of the Moroccans who are selling either their stuff from their houses or their artisan work or whatever the case may be. It's just really cool. It's like a Moroccan flea market back there. Moroccan souk. Who would have thought? Anyway, I'm driving out to Marrakesh to meet this woman who is working with the artisans and she wants to introduce me to some of them, especially a leather worker. I was working with leather and they had a nice way of dyeing it that was low impact to the environment and not the traditional tannery and, you know, chemicals and all that stuff. So he worked with someone who, for leather for that, and she worked with him for sewing and creating garments and all that good stuff. So I went to meet with him. I was driving to Marrakesh, and it was the Big Eid, which, as we talked about in the beginning of this episode, is their big holiday for the year. And the Big Eid entails buying sheep. When you go into the Medina of a city like Marrakesh, there are shepherds who come in and they sell their sheep to the people in the Medina or the people in the city or wherever. They have stands all over. During Eid, you can see like all these makeshift sheep homes and shepherd homes around the city. This was probably two or three days before Eid. And I was going to, you know, get all this stuff done before Eid because during Eid, there's 10 days where nobody does anything. After the celebration, it's holiday. It's, you know, the cities are shut down. People go on vacation. Basta. First of all, I'm driving in Marrakesh. In Marrakesh, Casablanca is full of traffic, but it's because it's full of traffic, it's not very overwhelming to drive in. So driving out of Casablanca was not that overwhelming. Driving into Marrakesh, there's a big roundabout and it's, there's Vespas and motorbikes and crazy people coming all over you at you in every which direction. And I was still okay. I was like, cool, got this, I got this, I got this. And then I drive further to get to the Medina in which is again behind Gem Alfna. Gem Alfna is the square Medina, the Medina is behind it. So I'm going into the Medina and the Medina roads are teeny tiny. And Thankfully, for renting a car this time, I didn't have a Fiat, but I, I had a Camry or something equivalent in size. I just remember all of these sheep everywhere. These people picking up the sheep, these people putting them in the back of their trucks, these people selling them, walking next to the car. And so not only am I fighting traffic, but I'm fighting livestock. And the street is getting narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower. And God bless Moroccans because they are always trying to help you. If they know you're a foreigner, especially, they're trying to help you. So these guys are in front of me going, no, 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 it's okay. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Like waving me in. And I'm going, it's too tiny. There's no way. And But there was a way. There was a way. They waved me in and I was perfectly fine. And I pulled up almost in front of the door of the guy who was making all of the samples and who I was supposed to be meeting. And it was perfectly fine, but it just was quite the experience. And then 
leaving the Medina with all the sheep. And it's just like a little bit overwhelming. All that to say, though, I think even Morocco, even like Marrakesh during Eid pales in comparison to driving in anywhere in Texas. I hate driving in Texas. I hate it so much. It is literally the most terrifying place I think I've ever driven in my entire life. I would take 20 times what I experienced in Marrakesh to avoid ever driving in Texas again in my entire life. And I've driven in Texas more than I care to share. So yeah. So if you're from Texas and you're listening, calm your shit down. I don't understand why y'all drive like that. Seriously. I come from Atlanta and Atlanta is known for their crazy ass drivers. Ludacris said, Hunter on the highway, if you do the speed limit, get the fuck out of my way. That is Atlanta and y'all are still crazier. That being said, that because I've driven mostly in Europe and in Morocco for the last few years, because France and Morocco, again, the whole colonization thing, a lot of the rules and laws in Morocco outside of Islamic law are adopted from the French. So the laws are similar in the respect of the person on the right always has the right of way. So the person merging onto the highway always has the right of way and you have to slow down and let them on. Whereas in the U.S., when you're merging onto the highway, you have to match the speed of the cars and figure out your place in line and nobody has to care about you. For example, if you come up to a four-way intersection, the person on the right always has the right of way, even if you're on a major boulevard. So if you're on a major boulevard and someone's turning right onto your boulevard and they're on your right, they have the right of way to go. And it's just, it's just, it boggles my mind, even in a roundabout. In a roundabout, normally the people in the roundabout have the right of way. Nope. In France, (laughs) it's the person on the right who has the right of way. So the French rules of driving apply to the Moroccan rules of driving, and they follow similar guidelines. So it's definitely made my American driving skills subpar, I will say. I stay in the slow lane if I'm (laughs) not going faster than the fastest person on the freeway. I slow down to let people merge in. It confuses the shit out of them because they're not used to it. Like it just, it's a total shit show whenever I come back and I'm driving. And honestly, this is probably part of why I don't like driving because I have too many rules to remember in my head. I mean, in the US, the only person who has the right of way when they're on the right is if you simultaneously stop at a stop sign, then the person on the right has the right of way. But, or other things like, that you can turn right on a red as long as you stop first in the U.S. You can't do that in France or Morocco. I've done that several times and gotten in trouble. And thankfully, I can just be like, oh, I'm an American. I'm so stupid. I'm sorry. I had no idea. And then you get yourself out of it. Thank God. But then when I go home, I don't remember that, oh, yeah, I can turn right on a red. And anyway, it's just a shit show. Wherever I am, it's just a shit show because I don't know the rules there. I don't know the rules here. I don't remember the rules at home. I try to incorporate them all and create my own, you know, driving rules and it just doesn't work out. Everyone is really confused by me. There's a reason I like to be driven. That being said, I appreciate y'all listening to this episode. Next week, we're going to talk about what to do when you start to feel homesick because those things definitely start to happen. You get there, everything is exciting, and then, you know, the excitement wears off and you miss your family and you miss your customs and all that stuff. So we're going to talk about all of that and how to kind of cope with it and how to make yourself feel homey even when you're not in your home country and all that good stuff. So 
as always, you can reach out to me at hello at atelierkate.com, A-T-E-L-I-E-R-K-A-T-E.com. Or if you want to know more information about my business, you can head over to atelierkate.com and check that out. We have a lot of cool things coming out uh, while I'm here in Morocco. So definitely check that out and follow us on Instagram at atelier underscore Kate. And in order to grow this community of like-minded wanderlusters, Join us over at 10 Hours From Home on Instagram so we can connect, you can send me messages, and we can chat about all our adventures there together. And please like and subscribe and rate and review and share this podcast with all of your friends because that's how our little podcast will grow and flourish and we can create this community of cool, like-minded wanderlusters. Um, so with that being said, I wish you all a very good week and a happy, happy rest of your day. And I'm going to go eat some more watermelon. (laughs) All right. Have a good week. Bye guys. And as always, this podcast would not be possible without my dear friend, Jewel, who is a sound engineer, and she makes me sound like I'm a pro and like I know what I'm doing when it comes to sound. It has been much trial and error, but thanks to her, she has made it happen. So you can find her at on Instagram at Jewel, J-E-W-E-L, Remetta. R-E-M-E-T-A and she does sound engineering and she's incredible at it and she does Reiki and healing so you can reach out to her for either of those things and the other amazing woman that I have to thank for this and for keeping me on track and doing all the good things for this podcast to help it grow is Nuhaila who is the owner of a branding agency called Branda Blanca. And you can find her at Branda Blanca on Instagram, B-R-A-N-D-A-B-L-A-N-C-A-A on Instagram and brandablanca.com. And she just does some amazing stuff in terms of social media, branding content. And honestly, she just keeps me on time. She keeps me... (laughs) She keeps me sane. She makes sure everything gets done. The only reason that things get done is because of Nuhaila, thankfully. So if you're interested in her services, definitely reach out to her. And again, thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you next week.